Hey y'all, I'm your host, Peyton, and today I'm going to tell you the story of another unsolved case from central Louisiana. Two people were left on a dead-end road towards the end of 2002, and authorities still can't figure out the relationship between the victims. This is The Crimes Picayune. On Friday, December 20, 2002, the badly decomposed bodies of Rebecca Miller and Roderick Collins were found off of Sugar House Road in Alexandria, Louisiana. Alexandria is located within Rapides Parish and sits dead center in the middle of the state. Roderick Wayne Collins was born in December of 1970. As far as I could see, Roderick remained in the Alexandria-Pineville area for the majority of his life and had been living in Pineville at the time of his death. And Pineville is a small city just across the Red River from Alexandria. He was employed by the state and was working with a sanitation department. Roderick was last seen on Friday, November 1st by his girlfriend. I read that he had just received his check from work and his girlfriend said he told her he was headed to the Paragon Casino in Marksville, Louisiana. This would have been about a 40-minute drive from his home in Pineville to the casino. But by November 4th, three days after not having seen Roderick, his worried girlfriend reported him as missing. Rebecca, on the other hand, actually hadn't been reported as missing. According to her family, it wasn't odd for her to go missing for days or even weeks at a time. The mom of five was born in June of 1972 to Jerry and Kathy Miller. And just an unrelated side note, Rebecca's mom, Kathy, died under suspicious circumstances when she was 12 years old. According to a local newspaper called The Town Talk, on May 1st, 1984, quote, Catherine Miller, 30, suffered an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound following a family disturbance. She was shot at 7.45 a.m. and died at 11.07 a.m. in Rapids General Hospital in Alexandria, end quote. She had been shot with a pistol in her stomach. I wasn't able to find a follow-up article, but there doesn't seem to have been any additional investigating done on the case, and her death was ruled as a suicide. When she was 18, Rebecca married a man named Michael in September of 1990. They eventually separated and she remarried in 2000 to a man named Thomas Van Sant. Rebecca started getting into some trouble, and according to the town talk, she had been booked in the jail 10 times, mainly in 2002, which is the year she was murdered. She had accumulated some drug charges, and in April, she was arrested for unauthorized use of more than $1,000, and her last arrest was that October. She was arrested on October 20th at her sister's house for remaining on the premises and resisting an officer. She was sentenced on the 22nd and received seven days in jail. Her daughter said she had gotten out of jail and was last seen on October 31st at a gas station a few blocks down from the jail. 
She's alleged to have been waiting in line to use the payphone and was carrying the paper bag of her belongings she had received upon her release from jail. Rebecca's drug use and jail stays often led her to be MIA for days at a time, so this is why she wasn't ever reported as missing. I'm also not sure if her family was even aware that she had been released. A part of the case that investigators just couldn't seem to figure out was the connection between the two. Almost 20 years later, the relationship between Rebecca and Roderick is still unknown. Interestingly though, according to an old job application filled out by Rebecca for a Ryan's restaurant in Alexandria, she was previously employed by the Marksville Casino that Roderick was said to have been headed to the night he was last seen. The dates she was employed at the casino are unclear on the application, and her reason for leaving was listed as, quote, open for discussion. I also learned that there was allegedly a lot of sex work coming out of the casino, and Rebecca was said to have participated in it. On the Ryan's application, Rebecca's most recent employment listed was for Honey Bear Escort Services. February to April was listed under the Dates of Employment section. I can't find the date this application was filled out, but I assume it was in 2002 because Rebecca had been arrested in April of that year for unauthorized use of more than $1,000, which would make sense why her employment ended that same month, but that's just a guess. Also on the application, Rebecca drew through the spot for the address of Honey Bear Escort Service, which isn't weird because escort services don't typically have a place of business or headquarters that they serve out of. But I did hear that Honey Bear Escort Services were allegedly run out of a nightclub called Sugar and Spice, which was located at 1801 North MacArthur Drive in Alexandria. This was said not to have been done by the owners, but by a woman named Jamie, who on the streets went by Mama Bear. In a January 2004 article by the Town Talk, Mama Bear's illegal activities were brought to light following the arrest of her and her boyfriend, who goes by Papa Bear. The article says the operation had been underway for at least five years until the couple was arrested at a MacArthur Drive hotel on prostitution and drug activity charges. Just a side note, I wanted to add that I respect sex workers and the use of the word prostitution is only going to be used within direct quotes from articles or other sources. And to reiterate from my episode about Robert Brown, on this podcast we respect people their choices, and their occupations. Each and every person on this earth deserves the same amount of respect, regardless of if they partake in what society calls high-risk behavior like sex work and using drugs. Anyway, the article outlines the method used by Mama Bear and her clients. It says, quote, The ring would set up operations in various hotels in Alexandria. Sometimes they selected one hotel and rented three rooms. Other times they rented two rooms at two different hotels located nearby. Clients called Mama Bear on her cell phone and then set them up with a date. Once the client was with his date, the woman would ask if he was interested in purchasing drugs. If the client showed interest, Mama and Papa Bear then arrived at the motel room with the drugs. End quote. They were found in possession of Viagra, meth, and ecstasy. 
That bust happened the night of January 27th, and just two days later on the 29th, Sugar and Spice, the nightclub that was believed to have been where Mama and Papa Bear were running out of, was a part of a citywide sweep to find drugs. Authorities were at the club because of information they heard about suspected underage patrons and drug activity. They found that on that night, everyone in the club was of age and two of the employees were found to be in possession after a canine hit on their lockers. Had Mama and Papa Bear not been arrested within that same week, I believe authorities would have found a lot more. Just a week after being arrested in that MacArthur Drive hotel, Mama and Papa Bear were arrested again, this time for charges of conspiracy to produce methamphetamine and are believed to operate in Rapides, Grant, and LaSalle Parish. The couple's second arrest included three of their friends that are believed to contribute to the production and distribution of methamphetamine. One of the men that was arrested gave consent for authorities to search his home and in the attic they found parts of a previously operating meth lab, so charges of operating a clandestine lab, reckless handling of hazardous material, and possession of marijuana were added to his charges. So how does a multi-parish drug and sex work ring relate to the deaths of Rebecca and Roderick? Well, because we don't truly know how the two were connected and or knew each other, we can only speculate. There are so many scenarios that I've gone through trying to figure out what possibly could have led the pair to being murdered, and I always come back to the cause of death. Roderick's cause of death has never been publicly listed, but I assume it to be the same as Rebecca's, which was multiple stab wounds. There are so many variables that go into profiling a killer, such as the method of killing, the amount of injuries to the person, and the placement of those injuries on their body. All we know about Rebecca is she was killed by an unspecified number of stab wounds to an unspecified part of her body. Knowing more details about her cause of death would allow me to make a better guess about the who and why, but we generally know stabbings to be very personal or there's a rage behind the killing that someone is mad about something. It's not clear if Rebecca's arrest the previous April for unauthorized use of more than $1,000 is connected to her murder, but with Rebecca's past including being heavily involved in drug activity and sex work, in addition to her writing hot checks, I feel like this attack was personal against her, especially how soon it happened after she was released from jail. I wonder if Rebecca was being targeted and Roderick unfortunately and unintentionally also became a victim. Rebecca and Roderick were found at the end of Sugarhouse Road by a hunter. Sugarhouse Road is right off of I-49, so you can enter the interstate and exit off the interstate from this road. If you were exiting the interstate from I-49 South, took a left, and drove 800 feet, you would come to a stop sign. From the stop sign to the end of Sugarhouse Road is only about six-tenths of a mile. This is a residential street, though there were only a handful of houses around 2002, and the few houses that were on the street were pretty spaced out. To give you an idea of the area, after taking that left from the interstate exit ramp and you stop at the stop sign and continue straight, as you're driving to your left you would have seen the few houses that were built, but to your right is pretty much nothing but woods and brush. 
As you near the end of Sugar House Road, there is a house on the very end of the street to your left, right before the paved road ends. But even though the pavement ends, there was still a dirt road that could have been accessed by a car. From Google Earth, it looks like this dirt road was intentional and was in the process of being made maybe for future production of more residential area. But the dirt road leads to and stops at a bayou that runs perpendicular to Sugar House Road called Henson Bayou. If you're not from Louisiana or are maybe unfamiliar with what a bayou is, bayous as defined by National Geographic are just slow-moving creeks or swampy sections of a river or lake. They are usually shallow, sometimes heavily wooded, and usually found in flat areas where water collects in pools. National Geographic actually has a really informative encyclopedic entry that talks about the importance of bayous for indigenous people and Cajun and Creole culture. I'll have it linked on my Facebook page, The Crimes Picayune, if you want to check it out. Going back to the location of the bodies, I'm not surprised that Rebecca and Roderick were found by a hunter because this area was, and still is, heavily wooded. I've not been able to find the exact location of their bodies though, so I'm not sure how far down the dirt road they were, or if they were still on the dirt road, or if they had been left within the woods, but this makes me wonder, were the two murdered where they were found, or were they killed somewhere else and Sugar House Road was just used as their dumping ground? The bodies were stated to have been in the woods for about five to six weeks and were badly decomposed, which might be hard to believe because Rebecca and Roderick were missing and presumed dead in November and December of 2002. You probably know that when anything is cold, whether a body or vegetables in your refrigerator, the growth of bacteria slows and helps preserve its state. Catherine Woolen of Illinois State University analyzed the effects of cold temperatures and weather conditions on the decomposition process in pigs in her 2019 thesis. Within this paper, she provides a brief section about human decomposition and the variables that could affect or change the rate at which humans decompose. She cites another source stating, quote, The most influential variables include temperature, moisture, humidity, and oxygen content, end quote. She explains how the temperature of the environment where the body is left can greatly alter the rate of decomposition and how, of the other variables, temperature has the greatest effect. In addition to halting or slowing the decomp process, cold temperatures, quote, inhibit the presence of insect and scavenger activity, resulting in greater preservation of the remains, end quote. She also explains how microorganisms can survive and adapt in climates like the Arctic, but die in environments with different distinct seasons. I won't be going into that, but I will also have this paper linked on my page as well if you'd like to read more about that too. She continues stating warmer temperatures, defined as 70 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit, quote, are known to promote a greater degree of bacterial and insect activity aiding in the acceleration of the decomposition process, end quote. Now, this is becoming more relevant to our case. Woolen writes that when temperatures fluctuate between warm, defined as 70 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and cold, defined as less than 40 degrees Fahrenheit, decomposition rates can slow and then accelerate, and it will cause bacteria to dramatically reproduce. 
During November of 2002, the month we assume Rebecca and Roderick were killed, the weather fluctuated like crazy. The average overnight temperature was about 44 degrees, and the highest recorded temperature for the month was almost 85 degrees. There wasn't much of a change in December either, the overnight temperature being 39 degrees and the highest reached 77. The area also had about 15 inches of rain during those two months. Also in this thesis paper, Woolen explained the effects of moisture and humidity on the rate of decomposition and cited a study that proved increased humidity promotes the growth of insect activity. In the same study, it found that rainfall didn't affect the activity of maggots because they just remained inside the body and continued to feed. I say all of this to possibly explain why the police are only able to assume how long the bodies were left there. Each of these variables make it difficult to find the PMI, post-mortem interval. The PMI in Woolen's paper is defined as the estimation of the amount of time that has passed since death. The estimated time authorities believe the bodies to have been in the woods works out to be around that first weekend in November, or November 1st and 2nd. Something I haven't mentioned yet is that the day after he went missing, so November 2nd, Roderick's car was found on Hudson Boulevard, burned, just four streets over from where their bodies would eventually be found. At the time of the murders, Hudson Boulevard did have a few houses on it, but it was mainly just a two-lane road surrounded by heavily wooded areas on both sides. I've not been able to find any articles about his car or where it was found on the two-and-a-half-mile stretch of road. I also haven't been able to find the condition of his car and how badly it was burned. There wasn't anything published that I could find about a burned vehicle that had been found in early November, and his car is only briefly mentioned after his body was found. This leads me to believe that Rebecca and Roderick were killed the night of November 1st, or in the early morning hours of the 2nd, and the perpetrator or perpetrators tried to destroy evidence by setting his car on fire and leaving it on Hudson Boulevard. But again, this leaves me with more questions. Was Roderick's own car used to drive down Sugarhouse Road to dispose of their bodies before being set on fire and abandoned four streets over? Were the two actually killed in his car and that's why it was set on fire, because of the abundance of blood and potential DNA? Almost 20 years later, and we still don't know why Rebecca and Roderick were found murdered in December of 2002. Rebecca's daughter, Shay, still frequently posts about her mom in different Facebook groups about unsolved cases, and even on local garage sale pages in hopes that someone will come forward with information that will lead to the person that took her mother's life in 2002. If you know anything about the murders of Rebecca Miller and Roderick Collins, please call the Alexandria Police Department at 318-449-5099 or call the Rapids Parish Crime Stoppers line if you would like to remain anonymous at 318-443-7867.